Karina Baptista, thank you for coming in today. It's a beautiful day outside, but we're in the podcast studio, so I'm excited for this conversation. Thank you. No, thank you for inviting me. So I want to ask you to start our conversation about your fun mm-hmm. fact in the, the latest edition of the Gilman News here, yes. uh, that your dog has two different names. Yeah, so it's a dog that um, we got him about, I want to say 13 or 14 years ago. Uh and so my brother and I were like, okay, we want a dog, we want a dog. So we um, actually got him through this website, directly through the breeder. Um, we chose a beagle because it's not a, s- a small dog, but it's not like a big dog either. Um, and we, so we thought it was a good size. Um, I actually went to the San Francisco airport to pick him up. He was in a crate. Mm-hmm. They, sent the fl- they flew him. He was in a little crate. And, you know, when I got, so you would... I picked him up where, where you have all the luggage. You know, there's like this office. You would go to the office and pick him up, and I could hear it like, woo, 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 woo. I was like, okay. Um, so I picked him up and I actually took Bart, which was the California transportation system, and I swear he was he just kept barking. I'm like, okay, they're gonna kick me out of Bart, and then a few minutes after, um, you know, once Bart, Bart started, he fell asleep <laughs> and he was like easy peasy. Um, and then we, I got home and we're like, okay, so we got to give him a name. So we kept thinking about different names. And then my brother came up with Roscoe and I was like, okay, but I was like, I want something ethnic. And I just want, you know, I just wanted to like play with him. And then I just came up with Poncho. And then, so we ended up naming him Roscoe Poncho. Um, and he responds to both names to Roscoe and Poncho. And we speak to him both in English and Spanish all the time. So we'll say, ven aquí, or... Like, wow. And he, he responds to both commands. Hmm. That's so funny. It's, uh, it's kind of like my name. I think I... I don't know if you were there, but early on in the year, I had to talk about my name in front of the entire faculty, I think, because I almost got cold called uh-huh. in a faculty meeting. And it was like, what's your fun fact? And... I was like, well, my name is Peter McNeely Scott Jr. That's like my professional legal mm-hmm. name. But everyone since the time I was born calls me Jake. And Jake's not even a part of my name. It's just, you know, I respond to both too, kind of like your dog, Peter and Jake. Although no one other than, you know, legal documents refers to me as Peter. But it's just kind of funny. My, and it's kind of a similar story. My dad wanted to name me Peter after him mm-hmm. and my mom was like all right this is getting a little confusing with the, you know two peters in the house i i want to name you jake and she started just calling me jake and that's my name <laughs> that's so funny i think this double name i'm definitely for like hispanics is a thing i mean i have a, a double name i have like my first name is karina the last the, my middle name is alejandra right same thing my brother has you know two names my mom my dad um and like and we, but we also have, you know, like our, our short names, right? Um, my dad, for example, would never call me Karina, ever. Hmm. He always calls me Alejandra because his middle name is Alejandro. Um, and, and my mom will usually calls me Kari, right? The short name, the short um, version of Karina. Hmm. K-A-R-I? K-A-R-I. Yeah, that's my mom's name, Carrie. Carrie, Carrie. okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we say, she says Kari, and then the family will call me Kari, Karina. Some of my aunts will be Alejandra. Um, and my brother, too, like, he, we always call him by his nickname. His nickname is Huero, 
and we don't means like blonde or um, you know fair skin because when he was born he was like super fair skin so we mm. call him Wedo and <laughs> ever since like we my dad is the only one who calls him by his name everybody else only calls him Wedo <laughs> <laughs> what is uh, what does Karina mean um, I don't know I've heard um, that it comes it's like a Russian name um, or Indian people have told me it comes from the India or from Russia I really don't know hmm. Um, I've never actually looked it up. How about um, Alejandra? Is that is your significant? I guess it's your dad's middle name. It's my dad's. Yeah, it's my dad's middle name. Um, and I guess from uh, kind of like, like Alexander the Great, right? Comes from from I guess back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but it's it's yeah. But usually, only my legal documents will also have like the entire name. It's kind of it's kind of funny, and and for a while, I I don't know. I was like, why did you guys do this? Like, why'd you do this to me? Why'd you name me two different <laughs> names? But I kind of like it as a fun fact. That's when, you know, I got cold called and someone was just like, let's hear your fun fact, like in front of everyone. And it was Nick Pitcherzell. I was like, well, at least I have a fun fact ready to go. You know, yeah. it's like my go-to fun fact about myself. So that's pretty interesting. Did you, um, does your dog still bark like crazy? Sometimes he does. He's, um... So my brother and I spoil him a lot. Um, And so sometimes he won't listen. He'll be, you know, he loves, he loves to grab socks, dirty socks, and he'll just have us run around the house and like try to catch him. (laughs) He won't do that to my mom. My mom would be like, déjalo. And then he'll just drop it. I didn't know beagles were so smart. They're super smart, but they're so stubborn. Yeah, um, I knew they bark because my uncle had a couple, I think, and I, I know they bark, but I didn't know that they were as intelligent, um, responding to different language commands, and that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, they're they're super smart. He doesn't bark as much as when he was he was, you know, young, um, but and usually it's not a problem with the neighbors. Like once in a while he'll go out and he'll start barking, and then my dad would be like, "Venaki." And he'll come back into the house and he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're super, super smart. He'll get away with a lot of things at home. Yeah. <laughs> did you um, did you grow up with dogs too? No, we didn't. We actually um, didn't grow up with dogs. Um, but I think, I wish I could have a dog now. We can because the house we rent, we're not allowed. But that's one thing that I'm really, really missing. And yeah. when I first left for graduate school, I think I missed the dog more than I miss my parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep, you get attached, I think. Yeah. And I've never, I mean, I was a dog person, I think, when I was younger, but now that I'm kind of on my own and working, Mm -hmm. I just do not want a dog because I feel like I couldn't pick up and go away for a weekend or I'd have to go back and, you know, let the dog out. And I don't know. I think my parents have a couple dogs and they bark a lot. Mm-hmm. And not a lot, but they bark pretty consistently. So whenever I go home, I'm like, my gosh, like I, it's not very peaceful to me. But I think you just adjust to that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you do. And I mean, they're just so, you know, like our dog, he'll come and he'll like lay by, by your side. And um, but he's picky. Like sometimes he doesn't like to be like for you to pet him. So he'll just stay there and be like, leave me alone. I just want to be next to you, but don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, but you get attached. I mean, I think it's it's. Um, I mean, I love talking to him and be like, you know, um, and so yeah, I, I miss I miss having dogs. Yeah, 
Um, what has it been like for you this year, I guess, coming to Gilman from, you're coming from Charlottesville, right? Uh, or are you coming from California? No, I'm coming from Charlottesville, but um, I've been, so I've been in Baltimore for a couple years now um, because we moved here when my husband got the job at Morgan State. Um, and, but I'd been sort of with one foot in Charlottesville, one foot in Baltimore. So I was commuting for a while. Mm. Um, How far is that? Oh my God, it's three and a half hours. You were commuting three and a half hours every day? No, 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 gosh, no. Um, No, I would go maybe like on a Tuesday morning and then come back on a Thursday evening. Um, And I was staying with some friends. um, But it just, at one point, it just became too much. And so I requested an accommodation. And so I was able to teach my courses online. Um, But no, that commute is horrible. Sometimes I think I would do... Instead of three and a half, it would be like a five-hour drive because of the traffic. Or I think one time I missed my exit, so it made me do like this whole mm-hmm. detour. And oh gosh, getting through DC is impossible. I mean, and and you're right, there are so many of those little exit ramps. I feel like mm-hmm. around DC that it's very confusing. Even if you're following the GPS, it's like you know they're they're five in a row. Which one do I get off at? Exactly. Yeah, no, uh, that was not good. But yeah, so I've been, I'm coming from Charlottesville. Okay, so what were you involved? What was your program when you were at University of Virginia in Charlottesville? Um, so I was in the Spanish, Italian, Portuguese department, um, and we part of the program was we needed to teach, and then the other part was um, just taking the courses. Um, so taking the courses, then going through exams, dissertation and then the funds, and then you're out on your own. <laughs> and how long is that program? Um, so a f- PhD program is about five years, um, five to seven, depending. Um, it took me, okay, so it took me six years to finish at Virginia, but then I had started my graduate career earlier. And so what originally was a five-year plan became a 10-year plan I guess mm-hmm. um, so it's just there was some detours in between and so I ended up it, it ended up taking longer than I thought hmm. um, all right so what was maybe the content of like what what were you studying there what were you working on so I was working on literature um, and and actually also to your question about um, what was a program like I think since Throughout the time I was at Virginia, the program changed a lot. So it was from a more traditional literary studies department to what's now more like the interdisciplinary cultural studies uh, program. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I wanted to study literature. I mean, I I think when I was an undergraduate, I knew I wanted to um, just keep reading and keep doing things. And so I um, I decided to go to graduate school Um, because I just like to read and I thought I could have stayed in school forever Hmm. and maybe I can because I'm a teacher now so it's like the school setting yeah me too (laughs) speaking my language Um, (laughs) been in school forever but I don't I like it you know Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things about all teachers really is they like to learn and it's you can find commonalities with teachers because you all have that curiosity component and you you enjoy the process of learning some Mm -hmm. people don't like that but you can assume that most teachers do. It's like, why else would you be in school? Exactly. <laughs> so what did you study as an undergrad? Was it, um, was it literature? Yeah. So I was, 
originally a biology major. Um, and then I moved away from that because I loved biology, but I did not like chemistry and I didn't like doing like the lab work. Like I liked learning about everything else, but I didn't like that. So I thought, okay, this is probably not gonna be good. Um, and so I switched to, um, but I always knew I wanted to like do something with my native language. So Spanish was always part of the equation. Um, so I did, I ended up majoring in Spanish and minoring in political science, which at St. Mary's College of California, they called it politics. Um, so that was, that was my minor. Where is St. Mary's College? It's um, maybe like 20 minutes from Berkeley. So it's in the Bay Area. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's about 20 minutes, I think, east of Berkeley. Um, and I was like a, I was not a traditional undergraduate because I didn't live on campus. I commuted every day. So I drove an hour from home, like wow. to and from. Um, so to school and from school every day. Wow. That's a lot of commuting. It was a lot, a lot, of, a lot of commuting, but I just couldn't afford to like live on campus. Um, yeah. So I had to, I had to do something different. Man, when people talk about their their commutes now, I I feel so spoiled because I just moved on to campus here, and you know it's like I roll out of bed and I'm pretty much in the classroom. It's crazy. So I've never really had that experience of having to get somewhere from. And I before I lived like right down the street in the neighborhood, and it was mm -hmm. probably. 10 minute walk to school but okay. i've never had the experience of having to you know drive an hour or two to get to where i need to go yeah i mean i think california is just like that overall i mean you just have to drive everywhere i mean there's bart but it's also a little bit limited and bart is expensive um especially um now um yeah i mean when i was in charlottesville i was like 15 minutes away from from the university and right now i actually take the bus so that i don't have to drive down northern mm -hmm. <laughs> avenue um because the traffic is it's just bad yeah yeah uh, so do you miss california i do i miss it i miss the weather i miss um you know just the bay area is really neat but i don't i don't think i would go back no no how come um, cause I, I know it already and I, and I like the East coast. I like this part of the country. Yeah. Um, and also just, it's just not affordable. It's, it's, it's gotten extremely expensive and, and, and so I don't think I could, I could go back to that. Yeah. I've yeah. been to San Francisco a couple of times and it's beautiful. There's so much to do out there. It's awesome for, I'm pretty outdoorsy. So mm -hmm. I, I like that quality. It's. You know, you get off work and you go for a hike or you go to the beach or you walk around and that's cool. But I don't know. It's like it's very expensive. You get a coffee and it's five dollars and six dollars. And yeah, go out to dinner. And it's easily a hundred dollars. It's, it's hard to keep up. It is. It is. I mean, my brother was telling me the other day, I think gas is something like seven dollars a gallon. Um, and he actually still lives at my parents because he has a really nice job. He works in, in Silicon Valley, but he can't move out because mm -hmm. he just can't afford it. Yeah, it's wild. Mm -hmm. What has it been like, um, I guess, moving from your program at Virginia, you know, and teaching at Gilman now? What has, I guess, your first year at Gilman been like? It's been good. Um, I, I think I always knew I wanted to teach. Um, and that's one of the reasons I didn't pursue an academic um, career. Not that you can't teach, obviously you teach, but um, I 
I just wanted something different. Um, and I think um, academia can also be, it just kind of sucks up your life. Yeah. And I was a little tired of that. Yeah. Because um, you were teaching a little bit when you were there, right? Yeah, I was teaching. I was teaching throughout the whole time that I was there. But, you know, if you if you do an academic job, you have to go, you know, teaching and then you have to research and, you know, you have to have your research agenda and, you know, um, be very proactive about it. And I like doing the research, um, but I enjoy teaching better. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that... W- so I'm, I'm interested in the PhD track a little bit, just mm-hmm. to think about um, what is like a daily experience in that? Like, what are the things that you're thinking about a lot as a PhD student? Obviously your research, but what else goes into, I guess, that, that track? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you definitely have to um, think about how you see yourself in the future, right? Like, do you see yourself as an academic? Do you see yourself giving conferences? Do you see yourself, um, you know, just writing, like, a lot? Yeah, Yeah. writing books, uh, writing articles. Um, And so that's one thing that um, you have to really think about. And, I mean, there's different... So when you graduate with a PhD, there's a lot of things you can do, right? Um, traditionally, students have been, you know, the, they do a PhD because they want to be a college professor. That's changing a lot now, especially because um, there's not enough tenure track jobs. And so um, even Virginia itself has started putting a lot of money into helping students look into careers outside of academia. And not just like teaching, right, but like maybe going into government, going into nonprofit organizations, just like... So there's a lot of things you can do, but if you really want to follow the academic track, you also have to think about: Do you want to f- do the like the research one university where it's like he- like research intensive and then maybe um, teaching one or two courses a year, or do you want to go through the teaching track, which is more of a you know you go to a teaching college and you'll you know you'll mostly be teaching and then doing some research, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In any case, you still have, so there's three areas you cover, right? Research, service, and teaching. So how much you spend on each depends on whether you go to a research one university or you go to like a teaching college. Mm -hmm. And what, I guess, motivated you to apply to this program in the first place? Like, what did you think that you wanted to get into is it really the love for literature that fueled that decision um yes honestly when i first applied i had like no idea what like tenure track was i didn't know i I had i didn't wasn't even thinking like beyond phd i was just you know okay i want to go to school and i want to keep reading yeah and that was really my main motivation um and it was it was until i got um until I was into the PhD program that I thought that I realized, okay, there's like these things you can do with it. And then like, do I see myself as a college professor? Do I see myself as a researcher? Do I see myself as that, you know? Um, but yeah, it was really just because I wanted to keep reading. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. So what were kinds of things that you read during this program? What did you really enjoy studying and reading? Um, I, you know, I did a lot of like literary theory 
um, that I that I enjoyed a lot, um, and then just um, had a lot of classes on different, um, you know, like Latin American, Spanish literature, um, film. Um, so there was like that variety. Um, you know, you could also take courses outside of your department, um, and um, but yeah, it was just like I, I think just the range of exposure to things. Um, I mean, now now the the field is changing a lot, and so you do more interdisciplinary things. So you can do you know you can combine and do a dissertation about art and literature or art and environmental humanities, right? So it's like. It, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. So it combines a lot of different mm-hmm. elements of academic academia. What um, what did you write your dissertation on? So my dissertation was on the idea of nemesis. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So I, I'm forgetting the title of my dissertation now. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, nemesis, like arch nemesis. Kind of. So, you know, the, so actually, so the idea was planted while I was an undergrad. Okay. Um, I was taking this course, Introduction to Literature, um, with a professor who became my mentor and who we are friends now. Um, it's, and, a, um, it's a pretty broad title for a course, Introduction to Literature. Yeah, yeah. It was Introduction to Literature for, but in like in the Spanish department, right? Got it. Um, that's what they called it. Um, and so, yeah, I was taking with this professor who now he's trying to publish his own manuscript and I'm actually helping him edit the manuscript, which is crazy. Now I was his student like years ago and then now I'm, I'm helping him out. But any case, um, anyways, we were talking about some short story. Um, and then he like mentioned like nemesis. I was like, okay, what is this? Right. And so I got really, really interested in it. And so I thought, okay, and then just sort of like stayed in the back of my mind. And then I applied to um, graduate school. And then when the time came to, you know, choose a dissertation topic and everything, I was like, okay, maybe I can keep exploring that idea from undergrad. Um, And that's what I ended up doing. What is that idea, Nemesis? So it's people um, think of it as karma, right? It's in a way, it's kind of like a similar thing. Um, but it's, it's just the idea that, that somehow if you do bad in the world, you will in a way pay for it right at some point, Mm. but it comes so, you know, it goes back all the way to the Greeks, you know, the goddess nemesis, nemesis is, is, is the goddess of retribution. Mm. Um, and so, um, what I did was like, um, actually my first chapter is really sort of like tracing that idea across time and space. Um, and then, and then just some more just analytical chapters about different short stories and novels and a film. Um, so yeah, that, that was the illustration. Interesting. Um, how did it become an idea about retribution to like my arch nemesis is my enemy? Is it about revenge? I guess that's about revenge a little bit. That idea of my enemy is someone I want to get revenge on or... It, it's um so it starts as this um yeah it starts with like the greeks right the idea of of the goddess right this the goddess of retribution and then eventually the romans pick that up and there's um it's sort of 
um, there's like some poems. There's a, there's a lot of poems written about that. And then just, you know, I think also Aristotle at one point uses the idea of nemesis. And, um, but, in, you know, nowadays people think of, oh, that's your nemesis. Like that's like sort of like um, the thing that got you, mm-hmm. right? Um, it just it just evolved, um, just like um, everything else. Um, but there's always like within literature, at least from what I wanted it, um, or what I was reading, like there was this always this idea that there's something sort of like there's this sort of like retribution sort of coming or like latent somewhere there. Um, so it, it's kind of complex for me to like summarize it all in here um Mm -hmm. but it's i was just exploring like the different ways that different authors sort of like approach this idea of retribution Hmm. Um, what um what stories or you talked about poetry a little bit but what what stories did you primarily look at when you're exploring this idea so i so that my dissertation was about like so i chose um stories from the dominican republic uh, mexico and argentina um <clears throat> and so uh i think what i sort of traced on the situation was like how like from the more retributive and then eventually it became a more like restorative justice right from tracing the idea of like retributive justice to more restorative justice and so for example like the last my last chapter is on a, a, an argentinian film about a woman who is raped but doesn't seek out retribution and she wants a more restorative justice to to um to what happened so um it's a very very interesting film and so how that idea of retribution is more or less abandoned even though there's this very heinous crime Mm -hmm. right and she herself even though she's rape doesn't doesn't want retribution for her rapist Hmm. Um, so it's maybe less of an impulse than it is i don't know i used to teach the scarlet letter in uh, american Mm -hmm. literature and i'm kind of bummed that i'm not teaching it this year because it's one of my favorite books but scarlet letter is a lot about that idea if you've read scarlet letter it's a story about a a um, woman, Hester Prynne, who has a baby out of wedlock, and it's set in a Puritan community. Um, so it's all about her, I guess, adulterer, this guy named um, uh, Minister Dimsdale. He's like mm-hmm. one of the higher-ups in society. He's a, he's a clergyman, and he has the secret that he can't come forward with and you know tell the community because he's... You know, he's kind of the the person who runs the show in Mm -hmm. the Puritan community. But Hester Prynne is punished and she's put into prison, you know, with her baby Pearl and her husband, Roger Chillingworth, perfect name for him, comes back into society. And all he's doing is seeking revenge upon Dimsdale. He tries to figure out who Dimsdale is, who the Mm -hmm. person who adult who cheated uh, with his, his wife. Uh, is but it's a story about exactly what you're talking about revenge and sin and retribution and it's one of my favorite books but i think it's a it's be interesting to look at too 
Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that I that was that I, that I was very drawn to was how like maybe retribution or like doesn't have to come from somebody else. It could just be from like something that just sort of like happens, and that could be sort of like a way for you to um, so there's like different ways of retribution, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, I mean, to me, you know, when I was watching the film, you know, it was like, well, she could be like the hand of nemesis, the hand of justice, right? Like she literally has the justice system on her side. She could just um, go ahead and 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 seek that justice, and and she'll be in her right to do that. But she decides not to. So I was, you know, when my first reaction to the film was like, why not, mm-hmm. right? Like. Um, but then you keep exploring, and there's there's these layers of like race and class, and not just gender, right? And so I think um, that all played into her decision of not looking for a retributive way mm-hmm. t- for her to, um, you know, sort of settle the situation. It's almost like a, a burden thinking about all of the hoops you have to jump through in order to get some retribution maybe yeah yeah in a way um i mean another one you know another of the um works i explored in the dissertation was this um it's like a poetic novel from the 1970s um argent from argentina um it was this it was it's based on a like a, it was in a real historical event of um, Camila Gorman. She's a woman from the 19th century. Um, she falls in love with a priest, and then they elope, right? And that's at the time of the Rosas dictatorship. And so they're persecuted, and they're um, they they die by fire squad. Um, and so this poet from the 1970s, like he tries to become sort of like. Um, not not to rewrite history, but he's trying to, he comes to the defense of Camilo Gorman, right? And in his, and in his um, novel, he sort of becomes the hand of nemesis against Rosas, against the dictator. So there's like these very different um, ways in which people approach, you know, this idea of nemesis. How do we get justice for something, right? Mm. And so in this case, it was, you know, through this writing of this novel that um, that this poet seeks to um, to to get justice for Camila, who was you know unjustly punished for hmm. you know for doing what she did right um, so you have that and then you have okay with this other woman she's raped and she's but she doesn't want her rapist in in jail like she wants a different kind of ending. Hmm. So that I was that was part of So you're exploring I guess the difference between revenge and justice and different ways that people in literature kind of came to find nemesis. Mm-hmm. That's not typical to the way that you think about revenge. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Um what do you think I guess originally attracted you so much to that idea? Um, I guess it was in part your professor that you had that you really liked, but yeah, I think it's um, this sort of like the idea of punishment overall in society, right? Like how, you know, why does punishment exist? Why um, should we always seek punishment for, 
you know, wrongs. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so to me, like that was that was very interesting. I, and I don't think I've ever like, yeah, the dissertation is finished, but like the topic is just there. Like you can keep exploring and exploring, and you know, reading and 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 your viewpoint might keep changing about about that. So you mentioned restorative justice. What mm-hmm. did what did you learn about that concept, that idea, restorative justice? Um, well, um, that was more to, towards the end of the dissertation. And if I think, I think if I were to do like a second part or like a second second dissertation dis- dissertation, I think I would I would explore more the idea of, of of restorative justice. And I think we also see it in our society nowadays with, um, you know people who are, you know, looking for more restorative ways um, to, um, you know, like, you know, not that you shouldn't be accountable for a crime, but the simply just going to jail. And like sitting there and kind of rotting away in a jail cell, yeah. Yeah, does that actually, you know, I mean, not that doesn't like fix the crime, like it won't, Right, um, and so um, I think people are looking for more, even humane ways, also of of, of dealing with with crime, with the consequences. I say, yeah, of, of that. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> how long is a dissertation? How long? Like, I guess you spend how many years writing this? Um. Well, let's see. So once you. Um, Pass your doctoral exams, you should spend maybe two years. Like you have about two years. Some people take more time, mm-hmm. you know, maybe three years um, to finish the, the dissertation. But in theory, you should, you, you know, once once you're you finish your your doctoral exams, you become what's called an ABD, all but dissertation. Yes. Yep. And so it's at that point. So you, sh- you should finish within like two to three years. Was did did writing this ever feel like a chore to you, or were you so um, interested and kind of fascinated by the subject that you really enjoyed the process of writing something this large? Um. Okay, so I enjoy the process of writing the dissertation, but um, it, at times it was just very, very, very hard. Um, especially because in my case, it coupled with the pandemic. So there was not just the isolation of you in your ivory tower, mm-hmm. you know, writing your life away, um, but also you in an ivory tower during the pandemic, writing your life away. Mm-hmm. So it became, um, you know, it was hard to find ways of, you know, just like outlets for for all that um all that pressure really and stress of, of writing writing yeah. a dissertation i mean it's um i really like you know find you know writing and and the um doing the research um and then putting things together um but i think it was the other stuff around right like the not having like a normal life you know a dissertation already is extraordinary like puts you in extraordinary circumstances so that plus the pandemic was not fun the (laughs) lack of social connection and you know just kind of an outlet for all of your other 
things that you need to be healthy, I guess. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, exactly. On top of an already pretty solitude-esque like task. You know, you've got to sit in the library and, <laughs> and write. Yeah, and also with and like in our case, like I moved to Baltimore right when I was starting the dissertation process. So it was also moving to a city where I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything, right? So it was that other isolation, like uh, that other layer of isolation. For sure. Did you teach your classes while you were doing this on Zoom? Or did you have classes? So at Virginia, um, your, um, so technically it's a five-year program, right? So it's uh, courses, um, uh, doctoral exams, and then the two years of dissertation. And so the last year of the dissertation is supposed to be like your fellowship year. So you don't teach during that um, year. Um, in my case, I had a request for an extra year. And so that last year I was teaching. And so that's when I was doing the commuting, but then I went, you know, I, I requested that accommodation and I went online okay. for my courses. What, what, what did you teach when you were in this program, um, classes? I taught all levels of Spanish. So I taught from the beginning levels, the intermediate, the writing courses, the some of the introductory courses um, for uh, the, yeah, the liter- literature for, for the Spanish majors. Hmm. Um, those were really fun to teach, I yeah. have to say. That's great. Well, you told me a little bit about some of your, um, your travels this summer because you got to travel a little bit, I guess, after the pandemic, which yes. is nice. Where, uh, where, did you, where did you go again, you told me? So we went to Spain. Um, we went South of Spain, right? We were in the south, yes. Yeah. We were in, uh, part of it, we were in La Mancha, uh, the land of Don Quixote. Yep. <laughs> and then we also spent time in Granada, Almeria, um, and sort of that southern part of the, of the country. Yeah, and what were those structures you told me? We looked at some pictures uh, yeah. south of Spain. So they're called Mar de Plastico, which is which we could, we, we could translate as plastic sea. And it's those um, uh, greenhouses. There's the greenhouses, so miles and miles and miles of greenhouses um, in that south. I bet that was crazy to see in person. Because even when you were showing me the images online, I was like, well, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Yes, yeah, it was crazy because, um, so there's a, there's a national park um, in, in the, that's called Cabo de Gata. Beautiful, beautiful park. Um, and in order to get there, you have to go through the greenhouses or pretty much drive by the greenhouses. So it was crazy to go from like these greenhouses to then this like extremely beautiful part of of the country. And it's like, how, how, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems pretty cool. And you've traveled to Latin America, I assume too? Yes, so um, I've traveled obviously to Mexico and then um, to Costa Rica um, and we had a plan on going to Argentina prior to the pandemic, but then the pandemic came and so we couldn't go. Mm-hmm. So we're planning on going to Argentina this, this summer and oh, maybe cool. spending the entire summer there. Wow. That's awesome. Yes. What was Mexico like? Uh, well, what can I say? Mexico is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've 
been I think one of my favorite parts is Oaxaca if you ever get to go to Mexico you should go to Oaxaca I've heard of Oaxaca yes they have great food mm-hmm. um, and they have beautiful beaches um, and it's just just a wonderful place what's your favorite Spanish food what do you like um, wait Spanish or Mexican food Oh, uh, ah, that's a good question. Mexican. Let's go Mexican. Okay, Mexican food. Um, there's a lot. I love this dish that's called chiles en nogada. Um, it's a, it's like, um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's like these um, big peppers. They're usually not spicy, um, but they're you fill them like you, um, they're stuffed with, um, it's like a, with pork. Mm. Um, and it's like you, there's a special way of preparing it, and it has um, uh, an almond sauce on top of it, um, and then it has uh, pomegranate. Mm. Yes. Wow. They they're rather laborious to make, but they're really good. Have you found any good Mexican restaurants around Baltimore? You know, I try to not go to the Mexican restaurants like in the states because I. It's you not know, the same. It's not the same. Um, and I know and I'm always going to be comparing it to the food from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to find something that's, you know, um, maybe <laughs> that, that is good. I just haven't explored them. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no. Southern California, I've been there and they've got good Mexican food. Yes. My friends who live in San Diego say like, you know, you, I remember in college we'd go to like Chipotle or something and they'd be like, I'm not eating that. You just can't can't compare it to the, the food in Southern California and Mexico. It's just not the same. No, and actually, now that you mentioned that, um, I gave my husband a hard time a while back because um, he was teaching in Southern Virginia, um, Southwest Virginia. And, um, you know, he was actually three and a half hours we were three and a half hours away. And then at one point he's like, yeah, I, you know, I was like, what did you eat last night? And he's like, beans. I was like, okay, so you cook. He's like, yeah, I opened a can of beans. I was like, what did you say? <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, the ca- I opened the can of beans. And I was like, do you don't tell that to a Mexican. It's like, you make the beans from scratch. Like they're the easiest thing to make in the world. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, can you forgive me? I was like, yeah, of course. Um, but it was just, you know, I was just, joking with him and giving it a hard time but yeah it's the when you make the food yourself or when you eat it from like the region mm-hmm. uh you you can really tell the difference yeah so what are your plans what are you excited about on your next journey to argentina oh you're gonna um, spend the whole summer there it's big time yeah we haven't um you know but that's what we're we're planning. Um, I think I just want to go to just the different places um, like the Plaza de Mayo, um, go to the library, uh, to the National Library there, um, go to Uruguay as well, walk through, you know, the barrio of Palermo. Um, and then we... What is that? I don't know what that is. It's a famous, famous... Um, uh, 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 sort of neighborhood of, of Argentina. Um, and we have a friend there who um, does theater. He, he's, a, he's a playwright. And so I would like to see him and maybe go to see some of his plays. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, oh, that's exciting. That'll be good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anywhere else on your, uh, I guess, travel bucket list? Travel. In, in addition to Argentina? Yeah. Um, okay, definitely I would like to go to as well Chile and Peru and um, other, you know, some of the other Latin American countries. Um, I've also been wanting for the longest time to go to like Denmark and Finland mm -hmm. and do like a different different kind of trip. Um, not necessarily backpacking, but just travel um, through, the, through those countries. Because um, I've traveled pretty much all of Spain and I've traveled Italy a lot. Um, so I just, I want to go to like some like different place netherlands was yeah that was somewhere i was supposed to go during covid it got canceled in netherlands and mm -hmm. denmark it would have been cool yeah um and you said you've been to cuba no i have not okay that's on my that's on my list i'd like to go there yeah i think i i want to i want to go there too i have i have a friend from cuba and she keeps telling me she's like you have to go when i'm there yeah uh, yeah i know i haven't been there but i know my husband has and he says it's beautiful yeah, uh, yeah, that, awesome. that would be a fun, a fun place to go. So I'd like to ask you a little bit about what you're teaching here at Gilman and what, mm -hmm. I guess, the transition this year, you know, to the new school and some of the things that you really like about Gilman are. Yeah. Um, so I'm teaching, what am I teaching? I'm teaching Spanish 2, a regular, uh, regular section, two sections of Spanish 2 honors, and then a section of Spanish 5. Um, and yeah, they're all very different courses, um, but I really like, um, I like teaching the boys. I think they're, they're goofy and they're silly and that's like really motivating because they can really get into something like you'll give them an activity and mm -hmm. then, um, like the other day we played, um, what's called the Mexican bingo. We play Loteria. I... It was like sort of my, my treat to them um, to get them a little bit away from, from the grammar and let, let's just do something more, just something different. Um, and they, they really got into it. Um, and so I really like like their, their silliness and goofiness. Yeah, for sure. I always say to my students who are talking about Spanish or you know they come from a class where they have a Spanish quiz or something, and I'm always like, you guys need to really pay attention in Spanish because someday, you know, I think I was the type of student and I wish I wasn't mm -hmm. like this, but I just didn't really understand the greater, the bigger picture of what Spanish could do for me in the future. Like I didn't realize when I'm in my twenties, mm -hmm. I'm going to want to go to Spain and want to go to Mexico and yeah. go to Peru. And I've been to Spain and Peru now. And I think every time I go to those places, Oh, I wish I paid more attention, you know, the senora in, in eighth grade or whatever, you know, I, I did pretty well in Spanish, but I didn't really, you know, understand mm. the greater picture, I guess. Yeah. I think especially because the United States is becoming, um, I mean, there's already, uh, a big population of Spanish speakers in the United States. And it's, it's, I think after Mexico is a country with more Spanish speakers. Um, just because, you know, population-wise. Um, so I think it's important for students to really, um, to to really learn, learn a second language. Um, and, and hopefully, um, my goal is, is to, um, 
have them train them so that they can have just more spontaneous conversations with people. I think the way we teach has changed over the years and I, I try to do a more communicative method so that they can just jump into a conversation with a Spanish speaker. Yeah, I think that's really all you you need when you travel when you're a little bit older. Like I went to Spain with one of my friends from college and he was really he's pretty good at Spanish. He hasn't used it I guess in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So he's he said he was a little rusty, but like when he would talk to some of the waiters and people in the streets, it's like that's really all you need so you can communicate and connect with some strangers in these countries and make some friends, you know, when you go on your trips you travel at all when you're older i think that's i think that's important it is important and also you know even if you just like to read to be able to access something in the original language it's very different mm -hmm. um and it, it's 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 rewarding also it feels good that oh i can read this in in the language that that it would and, and it helps you really understand the culture better mm -hmm. um when you when you have access to that to that language, right? Because culture and language go hand in hand. Is that Spanish five? Is that a literature class? Uh, no, that's a culture and civilization. So we've been actually talking about the Day of the Dead. Oh, interesting. Uh, in in the course and and sort of the history behind the Day of the Dead and 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 how um, it it also you know the different traditions around the Day of the Dead. Um, I always thought that was an interesting holiday. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting holiday. It's kind of similar to Halloween in parts, right? I mean, when you walk around at this time of year and you see on people's lawns like skeletons and, mm -hmm. you know, tombstones, it has a similar feel, but it's maybe not as eerie as Halloween. It's more celebratory. It's more celebratory and more rooted in, like, ancient traditions, right? Because the Day of the Dead is it's, it's a syncretic... Um, holiday right because it, the influence of the catholic church but also it, it has like this indigenous roots right of like honoring the dead um and so that's what i was that i was um what i was talking with you know my class um over the last couple of days um and and how you know like there's there's these things that we called um so a calavera is a skull and so people do like candies in the shape of skulls. So there's like this whole tradition, but there's also this literary tradition of like, they're called calaveras literarias. And so they're like, you can call them literary skulls. I guess that would be the, the more straightforward translation, but they're really like poems and they, um, where they talk about death and then they talk about it in a, in a, uh, sometimes even burlesque way hmm. um in a joyful way and so um it, it just people engage with death differently um in in for example in, in the mexican tradition right hmm. that's so interesting to me um because i feel like in i guess american society and culture it's people take whatever possible route to avoid talking or thinking about death and that kind of idea and in other cultures it's primary and central and celebrated just mm -hmm. interesting how different people look at that idea differently or that um i guess event in your life differently yeah 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 and there's like so many ways to refer to death 
in in uh, in the Spanish language, um, and it's it it's um, y- you don't necessarily see it as something, you know, bad and somber and solemn, but it's okay. We can we can use this as you know, and, and it just um, even have fun with it. I don't know, just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or to way to. I guess, look at life, a way to reflect on your life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not something that you necessarily have to fear. Like, we're all going to die, right? So people embrace it in a different, um, they understand it differently. What are some of those customs, traditions on Day of the Dead? Like, what do they, what do people do to celebrate that holiday? Um, so a lot of the times people make altars, right? Like at home, you can make a small altar, um, let's say, you know, for your a relative of yours, your mom, your dad, or a brother, or something that, or somebody that um, must have died, you put an altar and, and you put these things called ofrendas, so maybe the food that they liked, um, the music that they liked, you put a, a picture of them, and so at one point I asked my students, okay, if you were, so if somebody were to make an altar for you, what would be part of your altar? So if some of them said, okay, yeah, a baseball uh, you know, like it would be there. You know, those, those are things that represent you. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of towns, they make um, people go to the tombs and then they spend all night in the tomb, right? And they eat food and they pray and they have music um, to honor the dead. Um, in the bigger cities, more urban areas, you have a lot of uh, festivals about the death and so you have all these parades and. Um, and and you make also um, people bake pan de muerto, which is the bread for the dead, mm. um, and you eat that, um, and it's sweet, and it's um, another way of of connecting with those who have parted. Mm-hmm. What time of year is Day of the Dead? It's November second. November second. I wonder what it'd be like. To, it's interesting. It's near Halloween too, but mm-hmm. I wonder what it'd be like to uh, be in. Mexico during that holiday um it I think if you can ever go you should definitely go um I don't know whether I I guess the Latino community in Baltimore must I think they must do something um I have I'm not as connected yet with with the community um here Mm -hmm. you know because I'm still fairly new um but I'm pretty sure that there's there's got to be something right people are preparing and and uh um, for the day, mm-hmm. so maybe 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 we have to find some yeah. events, and then we can go, and then you can get a feel of what it yeah, maybe it's like. interesting. That's cool. Um, so I'd like to just ask you uh, your book recommendation for anyone who's watching or viewing this episode or listening to this episode. Do you have a book or a story recommendation for people? Um, yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, uh, there's a short little book that's called El Cartero de Neruda. Um, I'm not sure what the tran- how they've translated it into English, but I, the, the more literal translation would be Neruda says postman. And it's a beautiful story of friendship. Hmm. Um, so it's a story about, about how this postman becomes friends with the poet Pablo Neruda. Um, and it's it's a wonderful wonderful story about friendship, and mm-hmm. so that would be my recommendation. There's also 
a film that they made based on the book and the film is Italian it's called Il Postino um, it, it makes me cry I'm a crier mm -hmm. so every time you see it just because of the just love and tenderness and just sweetness of, of the friendship that hmm. develops between the, the two men are you a big Pablo Neruda fan you know I like Pablo Neruda um, but that film, like in that book, really get me. That story. Yeah. When did you first find that story or discover it? Um, it was during the pandemic, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was during the pandemic that I um, discovered. And there's there's a um, uh, uh, there's like the the I think the book is from the nineties, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they recently, not too long ago, they came out with like the graphic novel version of it and just has some drawings of mm -hmm. it. Um, but it's, it's a wonderful story. I like that. Do you bring it into your class at all? Or? I haven't. No? I haven't. Um, I'm not sure if, if my student, I think maybe that would be a story more for like the AP students. It's um, difficult. Is it, is it it, it's a it's like a short novel. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it, it would be um, hard to read for, with with my students at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Great. Anything that you're reading right now that you really like? Um, I am reading. Oh, that book from What Is Mine and What Is Yours by Naima Coaster. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am reading that right now. Um, but then I have a whole other bunch of books on my list that I that I want to get to. So yeah. maybe after I finish this one, I want to be disciplined and make sure I finish my book. Do you find it hard to read during the school year and the busy schedule? Um, or do you have a s schedule like before you go to bed or you know sometime during the day? I try to get a little bit of reading before I go to bed, but sometimes maybe I'll just take Sunday afternoon and I'll just read on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, you gotta. I guess you have to work that into the schedule because it's your like, original pass passion. That's what kind of got you here. Is yes. your love for literature and reading? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I and I'm at home. I um. So where I had my desk, I, I was like, okay, this has got to go, and I have to get a reading chair and a table so I can make space for my new, you know, this sort of new life and, and, and go back to what I really like doing, which yeah. is reading. Love it. Well, thank you very much for coming in today. It's a pleasure to uh, talk to you, get to know you a little bit better, and hopefully you're enjoying yourself at Gilman, and we're glad to have you here. And Cesare, thank you for doing the switchboard. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Cesare. <laughs>